0: This is Tracy Slatten hosting independent artists and thinkers I'm so happy to welcome you to the show we've got a great show lined up for you today I'm really happy and um, humbled and pleased that so many people are listening to the show live and in the archives and in the iTunes podcast channel so thanks for listening I really appreciate and I hope you're enjoying the show as I am so I created the show to support those brave souls who are operating outside the structures of the big established corporations and um, structures. As the intro of the show says, I intend to illuminate the unusual journey and to bring it to you. I'm interested in alternatives to conventional thinking and conventional answers. I'm interested in creativity, fresh ideas, unusual perspectives, and originality. And this show aims to bring you models of people who embody those qualities. Please do call in with questions or comments to 516-453-6052. Usually you can live chat me, but for some reason today, uh, the live chat is not working. I had some trouble getting the Blog Talk Radio studio going. I don't know if anyone tried to open the page and it wasn't working. There were some technological issues. Technology isn't perfect. It's just sometimes wonderful and sometimes doesn't work at all. So, um But you can email me, and I will try to answer any questions. But the live chat is broken today. Email me in between shows if you want to suggest a guest or have me ask questions of a particular guest. You can reach me at Tracy at TracyLFlatten.com. And that's Tracy, T-R-A-C-I. Oh, and please do call in with questions or comments to 516-453-6052. Call in, especially today because the chat room is not open. In the coming weeks, I've got some fascinating guests to come on next week one of the 50th sexiest men alive actor and model bo roberts will be on talking about new social media and i guess we'll talk about what it's like to be that hot so tune in and keep checking the website independentartistthinkers.com and the blog talk radio page to find out who'll be on the show i am so delighted today to have my good friend interior designer mark weaver on the show to talk about melding classicism with modernity Mark Weaver, a native of Southern California, formed his design company, Mark Weaver Associates, in 1970. Mark's extensive portfolio covers a diverse and distinctive body of work, including residential installations, private aircraft, yachts, and private island retreats. Projects range from Los Angeles to New York, restorations of historic estates in Nantucket and Santa Barbara, a townhouse in London, renovations, interiors for a 16th century palazzo in Piacenza, Italy. His work also includes a prestigious list of private corporate installations, including offices for Fortune 500 companies. Mark's hallmark style, and it really is beautiful, integrates the old with the new, blending clean modern lines with classical elements. He provides a discerning list of clientele with inviting and gracious environments that are sensitive to scale and proportion, dramatically lit, and filled with meticulously chosen furniture, art, and antiques. Mark's Italian heritage has greatly influenced his love of history, architecture, and antiquity. Mark has gained recognition in a variety of national and international publications, and he's earned a list of loyal clients who continue to rely on his talents, which are amazing. Mark is a founding member of the Los Angeles Museum of Contemporary Art, a member of the Decorative Arts Council for LACMA, and a patron of the Los Angeles Opera can find out more about Mark at www.markweaver.com and Weaver is W-E-A-V-E-R. Mark, hello, welcome to the show.
1: Good morning, Tracy. How are you?
0: I'm good. Thank you so much for being on the show. I'm really excited to talk to you. I, I love your work. I think you're amazing. So thank you.
1: Great. It's, I'm looking forward to this.
0: So I'm going to start right out. With my usual opening question for my guests, and I like this, this question because it really situates listeners into who you are and what you're about. Mm-hmm. And so it's a big question, so just take it and run with it and do what you need to with it. And so that is, how did you begin your journey, and what has it taken for you to arrive at the place where you are currently? What training did you have? When did you know you were going to be involved in interior design? Were art and design a major presence in your home when you were growing up? What did you think you would be? So talk about your childhood. Start there and lead up to now.
1: Okay, let's see. Um, I I grew up in a a small town in Southern California with very little exposure to, I guess, the creative arts, uh, um, architecture, design. And um, it was something that was relatively foreign to me. Uh, And... um, I didn't plan on a design career. It more or less happened by accident. I uh, grew up in a, um, a family. My father was a funeral director, so we were about as far from the arts as you could get. But when it got to be time for me to go away to college, I remember my mother introduced me to a local architect in town, and I was sort of fascinated by his work. So I thought that might be a direction that um I wanted to head and um I ended up attending Woodbury University in Los Angeles which had a department it was a business and arts school and it uh I obviously went to their interior design department and at that time this was in the in the late 60s um interior design was a fledgling um uh, institute. There really wasn't much going on in interior design. Uh, today it's a huge, huge industry. Furnishings, design, it's entertainment on television. It's you know multi-billion dollar industry. But at that time, there were very few people going into design, especially in the residential area. Most people were going into um, the commercial aspect, hospitality design. But... Um, Early on, I guess, was I aware of design? I I was because I loved, when I was young, I looked at uh, the house that we lived in, which was relatively simple. I used to love rearranging furniture. Um, I looked at all the elements that made a room. I would think about how it was different. Um, But I don't know that I was really aware that um, that was something I could do. I could influence other people. I could create And so um, after attending my first year of college, I began to realize that I needed to get out and work in the field. So I got a a job, um, my first job, in a a fabric showroom. And my exposure to other people who were creative, the designers that were um, doing great work, and that had a bigger influence on me and probably was... um, I, I acquired more knowledge from that than actually from school because at the time I went to college, um, mm-hmm. there wasn't uh, the classes that I took were relatively simple by compared to what the students study today. The young people I hire today, their knowledge of interior design is so great. Their uh, knowledge of architecture, handicap codes, all the things that are required today, um, they're very, very well equipped. And um, it just wasn't, that information wasn't available when I was in school. And um, so I guess um, when I look back at things that influenced me, I was influenced more as I began to study design and my college days and by artists, architecture, and so forth. And that was probably um, the things that led me to where I am today.
0: And was there a moment when the light bulb went on over your head and you said, "Okay, this is it. This is what I'm doing"? Was it in? Were you already dealing with your first private client, or was it before that? Or how did you get your first private client? I guess there's a couple of questions embedded in this.
1: Oh, okay. Um, well, my first client, um, I had worked for um, uh, my last year in college. I worked for one of the the top Los Angeles designers. <laughs> And it was a great experience, and I loved his work. I loved the the beauty, the scale, the proportion, the use of color. And um, I worked for about a year with him, and then I left and started my own business. Um, I was a little naive and obviously didn't know what I was really doing, and it took many, many years for me to establish a clientele and get going. You know, like, I guess, like a lot of young creative people I I starved to death for many years before I really got going but my first client was somebody um that he had referred to me a job he wasn't interested in doing and uh that client started with me in 1970 and I'm still working with the client today so in fact um my first three clients that I started with are still very, very dear friends and clients of mine today, and that's very, very rewarding and satisfying.
0: I bet. Well, so was there a moment when you just kind of said, okay, I'm in it, I'm in it for the long haul, this is what I'm going to do? Do you remember that moment, or was it more of an evolution?
1: I think it was an evolution. I I started seeing what – the people around me were doing, um, you know, studying other designers, studying architects. And I realized that this is something that, I, that was meant to be. You know, it was in my bones. And mm-hmm. I think um, maybe one pivotal moment um, for me was my first trip to Italy. I remember I hadn't traveled abroad. And my first trip to Italy, um, I was in Rome and I arrived one afternoon and um I put my jeans and sneakers on, and started walking around Rome and I must have walked a hundred miles that first day. I just wow. couldn't see enough; I couldn't absorb enough. You know, I went to the pantheon, I went to the Roman Forum, I went to the Vatican, and just it was like somebody had thrown a stick of dynamite in my head, mm. and it was so, so thrilling. And I realize that this is part of my heritage, this is who I am. Um and so that's that's been a tremendous influence on me.
0: Well, speaking of Italy, um, and I feel the same way about Rome. I feel like it's just a sensual delight and just to be there and breathe in Roman air. It's like the sky is bluer and the smells are more interesting and colors are more deeply saturated. I just feel more alive in Rome. Uh, but tell us about blending classicism with modernity.
1: Well, my personal style, I guess for myself, um, every project we work on is really rather unique. It's original. We try to make it original. Um, for myself, I love, uh, I love modernity. I love modern design, modern art, but I also love classicism, as you know. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I, if it's a if it's a modern building, I love the clean lines. I love simplicity. I love purity, and but I also love to throw something into that space that is period, that is classical. I love the juxtaposition of the two. Um, I love the romantic lines of classicism, and I like the clean lines and dark stark lines of modernity and I think they work beautifully together I think it creates an energy um, it creates a little bit of angst and uh, I think it's unique So, and at the other end I love classical architecture whether it's neoclassic or or, um, even modern classic architecture and I love putting clean modern furniture in it because I think that works beautifully together and um, today design has evolved. People tend not to do purely traditional homes where everything is of one period. It's it's morphed and evolved into um, a more creative, original art where people are mixing things from all periods, all styles. And of course, it has to be well done, and it has to be well-curated, or it's going to look like a hodgepodge of stuff you you know you shop for at a, a garage sale. So there there is an art to that, but I find that it's very creative and it's very exciting to be in spaces like this where there are collections of beautifully curated um, furniture, antiques, accessories, and you know furniture, fabrics, art, rug, and so forth.
0: So where do you start? Like when you walk into a space for the first time and you're looking around, where do you start? And can you give us some examples?
1: Sure. I think the the starting point for me is obviously, um, let's say we're working on a house, is the architecture of the house because that's going to give you a direction, a very strong direction. And um, what we try and do, um, in working with a project is create something very unique, um, something beautiful, and also something that people can live in. There's a difference between creating a great space that's stunning to look at or that photographs well for a magazine and something that people can actually live in and functions. Because if if it looks great and it doesn't function for their lifestyle, I, in my opinion, um, you failed as a designer. Mm. So we're first of all we look at the architecture of the house, and then in in um, interviewing people, talking talking to them about their lifestyle, how they function, you begin to learn um, certain aspects of where this this journey is going to take you, um, and then looking at the architecture of a house, in many times, uh, many cases you'll see things that are just really wrong these spaces don't function properly um perhaps windows are are bad there's not enough light in the room the doorways are too small um, certain details are wrong the moldings whatever and mm-hmm. so we look at we look at the bones of the structure and um and then we go from that point to the very end product and we look at how the room is going to be finished and what it's going to take to get it to that point. So a lot of times you'll find a space that really needs to be cleaned up, worked on, and made correct so that the in-product is beautiful. Because a beautifully constructed room will create a sense of harmony. It will mm-hmm. create beauty. It will have a good sense of proportion. And ultimately, it's going to have this energy when you're in the room you're going to be very aware of it whether it's conscious or subconscious and um it's it's interesting when people go into a room the effect that a well-constructed home or room has on them Mm -hmm. so um we look at we look at the architecture and obviously everything is budget-driven um it depends on you know the size of the project the scale of the project and you know money unfortunately um directs you to the type of items that you're going to select but it's not that's not necessarily a detrimental thing
0: mm-hmm. so
1: if if you're creative you can find something expensive you can find something inexpensive and it might just be the ideal thing that makes that room special mm-hmm. so we look at light, we look at uh, lighting, we look at natural light, we look at uh, the landscape outside. To me, bringing – if well, I live in Southern California, so landscape is paramount here. We have mm. wonderful light. We have beautiful landscaping year-round. So bringing the outside in is very, very important and critical to me. And if you have a spectacular garden – um, to me, sitting in the room and looking out a window or the doors out into the garden is like looking at a great painting.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: that can be one of the influences that will affect the color, the texture and the direction of the room. And of course, everybody has favorite colors, you know, favorite types of things that they like, and you incorporate. You incorporate all these elements into the room, and ultimately, you'll end up with a great product. So um, I hope that answers your question.
0: That's great. And so when you talk about harmony and energy, do you incorporate principles of like feng shui?
1: Yeah, we have a lot of clients that are interested in feng shui. Um, also, if you study classical architecture, you'll understand that scale and proportions of, of, of a room, of a building, is critical in creating um, the correct energy in a room. And I know this sounds a little ethereal and a lot of people think you're whacked when you talk about things like this, Mm -hmm. but it's very true. It has a profound effect on people. And um, when I worked with um, uh, my architect uh, that designed my home in Santa Barbara, uh, Douglas Phillips, um, Douglas was a classicist, and Of course, we hit it off right away because we thought very much alike. And um, in working with him, you know, he would explain to me why this room had to have a ceiling of this height with the proportions of the length and the width and so forth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you take the living room, for example, being in that room is very, it's a very powerful experience. Yeah. Um, and And forgetting the furnishings for the moment, but because of the proportion of the room, it just feels right. There's something magic about that because of the, punctuation in the walls of the doors that are the proper scale and they're in the proper position and the rhythm of the doors and what they focus on outside it it it's all instrumental in creating magic
0: it is i've been in your house in montecito i love your that place it is a magical i mean it's just so you just feel good it feels peaceful but not in a dull way you feel peaceful in an expansive way um mm-hmm. It's, it's just a lyrical good feeling to be sitting in that living room in your house in Montecito. Well,
1: so, you know, everybody can, everybody can do a room. Today, um, everybody's an expert and people are very knowledgeable today. They're smarter because, you know, they see this on television. They see how people create architecture, how they create rooms, how they decorate. But there's a certain talent on doing it right so that it it creates more than just a pretty room. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit. It's a little bit more uh, deeper than that. For me, it is.
0: I, I think so, and I agree. And can I ask you? Have you ever had any really weird requests? Have you ever had any clients like you know wanted black ceilings or something that is out of the norm?
1: Well, I guess once in a while, and uh, I've had a few requests, but I don't think we should talk about them on live radio. <laughs> Um yeah, for the most part, um, I think the people that hire me my, my work really comes from referral, pretty much a hundred percent, and people that are hiring us are hiring us because they know of the type of work we do um and um, I guess i they're not hiring us because we're, we do trendy outrageous interiors. They're looking for us for uh, work that holds up over a period of time that um, has a longevity to it.
0: Mm. So who are some of your inspirations, like architecturally and art and interior design? Who are some of your inspirations?
1: Well, you know, that's, um, that's a great question. And there's so many people throughout Um, my career that um, I've admired who've been a great influence. And I guess probably one of the single biggest influence for me was Andre Palladio, the Renaissance architect. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I became first aware of his work, I thought, geez, this is the most beautiful architecture I've ever seen. And, you know, it's um, his work has been copied from, 15th century through today, you look at the great buildings in Washington or around the world, they've all been influenced by Palladio. And Palladio was influenced by the great Greek and Roman architects. So um, I think throughout my travels, um, as I've traveled around the world, I remember um, going to Egypt and just being blown away by the beauty, the magnificence, the power, the scale of um, the ancient um, buildings and ruins of of Egypt. And then you look how that influenced Greek architecture. And um, Greek architecture is pure, it's clean, it's classical, and it's imitated today in every form, even in modern adaptations of that. And then the Romans copied the Greeks, so, um, and we're still doing it today. That influences us in furniture design. It influences us in architecture. So Palladio was probably one of the, the biggest influences. I remember one year um, I decided to take a trip to Italy, and I wanted to visit the Veneto area, and I wanted to visit some of the villas that Palladio had done because I mm-hmm. had studied them and seen them in books. So I went to the Veneto and traveled around, and I saw some of his great buildings, the Villa Barbaro, the Villa Emo, the Villa Rotundo. And the Villa Rotundo has probably been duplicated in so many forms everywhere in the world, every city. You see this influence on houses everywhere. Um, it's it's just a a building that is sheer perfection, mm. and um, the the Basilica Palladiana, I believe, is in Vicenza, and the Teatro Olimpico in Vicenza. I remember walking into these buildings or standing outside these buildings, and just sitting there for an hour or two, looking at every element, and just being moved beyond belief. Um, it was a magical experience it was it was spiritual and good architecture and good design has the ability to do that to you it's extremely powerful and it is something that is lasting we're looking at we're looking at buildings from ancient egypt that are over 2000 years old you're looking at buildings in in greece and rome that are thousands of years old and still admiring them today they're the greatest attractions in the world so it's a very very powerful art and you know i guess throughout history and, and in my studies there have been a lot of architects that i've admired people like frank lloyd wright and philip johnson um louis Kahn, and louis Kahn was influenced uh by history and ancient ruins, and that's reflected was reflected in his work and his style, his sense of monumental style. Um, people like Mies van der Rohe, who was, um, you know, he was considered the um, sort of father of modern architecture, and he worked alongside with people like Corbusier, and. Their signature was simplicity and beautiful, clean lines. um They used a lot of steel and glass, which um I love working in those elements today.
0: Mm-hmm. Some of my
1: favorite um some of my favorite elements and um i'd love to build a house for myself out of poured concrete, steel, and glass. Wow, um, I like the power, the strength and the purity and the um um clean lines of these materials Um, I think another in more modern times um, currently I love the work of um, Santiago Calatrava he's a Spanish architect does Mm -hmm. very very creative very original works and just recently we lost I think a great architect Zaha Hadid she was an Iraqi architect and I think she just passed away a couple weeks ago and i only discovered her uh recently and um her work is very unconventional very daring artistic and i I believe she was a futurist and had she well she will be considered one of the great architects but Mm. unfortunately a lot of her work will never be realized because um she passed away but i remember a couple years ago seeing a ship that she had designed just this was a a study that she did for a ship. And I thought, my God, this is one of the most futuristic, original, creative things I've ever seen. So I love looking at the works of people like this. Um, it's, uh, it's inspiring. It, mm-hmm. makes, it pushes the envelope. It pushes you further. It makes you create um, more. It, it makes you more original. It makes you realize you've, you've got to be you've always got to be on the cutting edge you've always got to be um aware of what's going on and learn and i remember my mother always said you know um she passed away when she was 96
0: and god she bless said, her you
1: know, yeah she said you never i, I want to i always want to study what's going on in the world even though i may not like what's going on or I may not like what I'm looking at, but it's very important to be aware and to keep your mind active and learning because I think when you are satisfied with what you're doing, you've stopped being creative. I don't think you can ever stop that development.
0: I agree. I agree. Well said. Very well said, Mark.
1: So, you know, architecturally, those are probably – Um, And, you know, there's probably a thousand other people there that I've forgotten to mention that have had tremendous effect and influence on me. But also, I am passionate about art. Um, um, I started studying art, I guess, during my college days. And I think growing up, I just wasn't exposed to any art. So I wasn't really aware. But um, I guess if I looked at classical art... um, Da Vinci, Michelangelo, um, Tintine- uh, Tintoretto, all the, the, probably the great Italian artists were mm-hmm. a big influence on me. Um, modern artists, I guess my f- most favorite artist would probably, I'd have to say, Picasso. Mm. And um, one of my other favorite artists are the Giacometti brothers, Alberto and Diego I mm-hmm. love the sculpture of Alberto Giacometti and, and the furnishings um of Diego Giacometti. And um just recently, um I was in New York and I happened to be with um your husband
0: um, David Howard.
1: <laughs> yes. And uh I'll I'll mention something else about him in a moment because he's also had a great influence on me. Um but we were at the um the Met, which is uh they've taken over the Whitney Museum, and it was a it was a show it's a very interesting show. It's a collection of works, unfinished work by great artists. Um, and it spans from classical works to modern works. Mm-hmm. And um you know We went in, and and, uh, Sabin immediately wanted to show me this uh, drawing by da Vinci. And I looked at it, and we were there for a while, and we started. He was telling me how beautiful he thought this was. It was sheer perfection. And as we walked through, I found a painting by um, Alberto Giacometti. Mm -hmm. And this was the piece in in the entire show that moved me. And they were about as far away from one another as you could get. And so talking about these two works, it's interesting, and this is this is also reflected in how people look at design, interior design, architecture. Um, Sabin is moved by beauty. He's moved by classicism, romanticism. Mm-hmm. And I am also, but the piece that he liked, I thought was rather beautiful, But it didn't have the same effect on me that the Giacometti painting did that was extremely powerful. Um, I loved the texture of the paint, the use of color. Um, I loved the angst that was in it. It happened to be a portrait of his wife, and it was unfinished. Mm
0: -hmm. I loved
1: the unfinished aspect of it. I thought it left a lot to the imagination but it's interesting how people look at things how people will look at a building how people will look at an interior and somebody will want something that's english or modern or um eclectic deco and there's something in the world for everybody so um um let me just mention sabin for a moment because
0: okay um, please do <laughs> there's so many
1: there's there's so many artists that i love and um Several years ago, it must have been about, um, well, it's probably been eight or nine years ago that I first met Sabin, but my business associate had told me, we have a call from um, this artist, and he wants to come to Los Angeles, and he wants to meet you, and I thought, okay, you know, we're we're constantly asked to talk to photographers, um, artists, and so forth that are looking to have greater exposure for their work, and they... um, like us to incorporate their works in our interiors,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and we're bombarded with these people, and you just can't, unfortunately, you just can't see everybody. There just isn't time, so he kept after me. You know, um, um, Sabin is called again, and he's coming out, and I thought, oh God, and another one. So <laughs> I hope this doesn't sound terrible, no, but anyway,
0: is not, so not relentless. <laughs> okay,
1: so. Um, one morning um Bob said to me, You know, you have an appointment this morning with Sabin. and I said, Look, I've got a jam day, I'll give I'll give him twenty minutes. So um Saban arrives and he walks into the office and he's holding something in his hand and it's draped with a cloth over it. And uh we sit down and we're talking and he's talking to me about his philosophy of design and his philosophy of sculpture and what's influenced him. And I don't know that I was really listening to him because I was fixated by what, was, what he had set on the table with this cloth over it. And I thought, uh-huh. what the hell is this, you know? And um, I thought, okay, cut to the chase. Let me see what this is all about. So we talked and I interrupted him. And I said, Sabin, um, is that one of your works and could I see it? And he took the cloth off of it, and I was just blown away. It was, to me, it was as great as the day I walked in to see the Pantheon in Rome. Oh, wow. And I thought, oh, my God, this is amazing. <laughs> and I ended up canceling my appointments and sitting there and talking to him for over two hours. And um, today, um, it this this figure was in white plaster. It was a figure of a man. And it was one of three uh, figures that he had done together, and I own these three figures today. They're in my home, um, and I look at them every day. It's one of my favorite pieces of art that I've ever acquired. Um, the beauty of the lines, um, the musculature, um, the medium—it's um, just—it's spectacular. And so I have to say that Sabin has had a tremendous influence on me. And I'm very honored to know him because I think he will be considered one of the great sculptors in the world. And so it's been that's another person who's had a tremendous uh, and a profound impact uh, on my vision of art and how to use beautiful art in interiors also.
0: Well, Mark, that just warms my heart that you would acknowledge my husband like that, and thank you for saying such nice things about him and his work, and that really is a classic Sabin story. (laughs) Yeah,
1: and this is not meant, honestly, this is not meant as a sales pitch, Um, but it's true, and I think if if people will take the time to look at his work, you'll see it. And it's also validated by the fact that Sabin just won the – national uh, award for the uh, world war one washington in washington dc he was um out of all the applicants he was the one that was selected to do this monument that will stand in washington and uh for the for time and history
0: yeah so we're excited it's, um,
1: yeah it's very exciting
0: well, thank you. I, I am now gonna just take 30 seconds to make a sales pitch of my own for my book. So, if you'll just wait, and then we'll come right back to you. I have a, a little commercial I play. Okay? Sure. Okay, hold. So, 30 seconds. Hold on.
1: When you find an author you love, you read everything they publish. International best-selling author Tracy L. Slatten is one of those writers. Her book Immortal is a rags to riches to burnt at the stake story of an orphan boy in Renaissance Florence. Broken is the story of a fallen angel in Nazi-occupied Paris. And her award-winning romantic paranormal dystopian after-book series. Also her bittersweet sci-fi romantic comedy The Love of My Other Life. Read one and you will be hooked. Find all of her books at TracyLSLattin.com
0: mark are you there yes so that is a sales pitch i hope my listeners are buying my books and anyone who wants to buy a sculpture by sabin can also contact me and i will get you a deal so <laughs> back to you <laughs> i know back to you mark um what are the major challenges you faced in your work so far and what are the major rewards and were there any detours well there's always
1: challenges in our work um there's always, uh, when you're working with an existing structure, there's always elements um, that you're working around, trying to, a lot of times, you don't have the luxury of of correcting um, architectural elements that really functioning right. So, but um, we try and be as creative as we can to um, minimize those elements and create something that draws your attention away from those items
0: like a bearing like wall right in the middle of somewhere where you need space. Is well, you
1: might end, you might end up with a column in a room that has becomes a structure. It's a structural element and you can't move it. It's uh, the building will collapse if you do. Um, mm-hmm. there may be um, uh, windows that you can't change the proportion or enlarge um, because uh, it's a bearing or a shear wall. And so you work around those those elements. And if you're creative, you can come up with something usually that um, corrects it. And you know, it's interesting because a lot of times there's things in a room that you are are fighting at the beginning and at the end, those things end up being the one little special thing that's kind of quirky or unique in the room and it ends up being a positive rather than a negative. Oh, cool. And your question about um, what's most I think you said, asked what's most rewarding about my work?
0: Yeah, what are some of the rewards of your work?
1: Well, the rewards obviously are are seeing something that's beautifully executed. But the reward is extremely satisfying. Remember once doing a home. It was the first home I had done for some people who had become, they'd become very dear friends of mine. And um, they let me sort of do what I wanted, and I was... um, I, I like working with people and I like making sure that um, what we do um, is influenced by their taste and lifestyle because I, don't want them to fe- I want them to feel comfortable in the room, in mm-hmm. a space. I want, them to, I want it to reflect their taste, not just my taste. I can create a beautiful space. I can be spectacular. But I don't want them to be comfortable in my space. I want them to be comfortable in their space. So when this project was completed, their home, I remember um, getting a call from him one day, and they had um, a function at their home, and he said everybody was just raving about the house, how beautiful it was, and what a great sense of style and taste, and, um, and I remember him saying to me that It was the first time in his life that he felt proud of his surroundings, that how people were admiring him. And I said, well, Gary, it has nothing to do with me. It has to do with you. And he was very complimentary to me and very grateful to me for creating something for him that made him feel so good about himself. And um, I thought that was really very flattering and very kind. I loved hearing that. And I remember doing a house for a young couple. They had two young sons, kind of a dysfunctional family. And the kids were running around. They never were home. They never had dinners at home. And we did the house. It was rather pretty. Um, And uh, I remember after it was done, them calling me and saying, you know, this whole process was a, a little tough and obviously expensive but she said for the first time in our life as a family we're having dinner at home the kids uh, stay at home all their friends want to be in the house they want to come over and be here and she uh, said it's amazing what a profound impact impact this has had on our family and i thought gee you know what we do is not frivolous. It's not just making pretty rooms. It's creating lifestyles and environments for people to function in, and it has the ability to, to alter people's lives. And Absolutely. it made me feel great. It made me feel that I'm doing something that is important.
0: Absolutely, so, yeah.
1: So I think that's very, very rewarding.
0: And were there any detours? Were there any times that you felt like you were detoured off your path?
1: No, sometimes I feel, I guess, you know, you feel um, when you see some a great building, I, I see work of other designers and architects that I think, wow, this is really brilliant, this is really creative. And it just makes me feel like, okay, this is a time for me to step back and reevaluate and and push the envelope a little farther, learn more. So I don't know, I always... I tend not to look back. I tend to look forward,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and even though I look back in history for great influence in, in architecture and design, um, I'm I'm more of a, a futurist. I love looking toward the future and, and mm-hmm. uh, think toward forward.
0: Well, so in that vein, um, in terms of thinking, looking forward, I'm wondering if that's one of your tools that has helped you on your path to being successful, and what are some of the tools that you have found to be the best tools to help you on your path to being a successful interior designer?
1: Well, to be successful, I think it's imperative that you listen to people. And, um, um, I love working with people. It's, it's one. So I love, um, getting people to open up about themselves, their lives, their taste, their likes, their dislikes, and discovering who people are. I think it's fascinating. It's fascinating to know what motivates people, what interests people. You know, I may talk to you and you like certain colors or you don't like color, and you like certain shapes, you like certain periods of design, certain art, and I love learning about people. So I think... um, it's imperative as a designer that you understand your clients and you understand what their wishes are. A lot of times they don't necessarily know what they're talking about or it's not clear to them. And for me, education, it's really fun for me to educate people about certain elements of design, expose them to things that they wouldn't be exposed to, open them up, get them thinking because If you're locked into um, a rigid um, train of thought, you're not going to be creative. It's Mm -hmm. always good to to approach something with an open mind. When we start a project, um, I can walk into a space, a home, an office, whatever, and I can look at this and I immediately get a sense of what direction I want to head into. But I don't let that lock me into one particular direction when we sit down as a team with the people in my office, we all sit down and we discuss about every single possibility that this, this space should it be modern? Should there, should there be a juxtaposition of, of new and old? Um, should it be deco? What should we do with the space architecture? We think about every aspect and everything. And it's then it's kind of like a puzzle. Then you start putting these different elements together. You study what the client likes, what things they, they want in the room. You start working with them. And all of these elements start coming together like a puzzle. Mm. And the end product is usually exciting. It's original and it reflects your sense of style, proportion, scale, and the client's sense of what they're trying to achieve, warmth, comfort, beauty. And
0: uh, did so I, did open I minded that? Yeah, you're saying yeah. some of the best tools are open-mindedness, flexibility, and a willingness to really listen to your clients.
1: Yeah, and I think, and and at the same time, it's imperative that they're open and listening to you, because a lot of times you get people and they are very rigid, and they say, no, that's not what I want, and when I run into a stumbling block like that, one of my dearest friends will do that, and she'll say, no, I don't like that, don't show that mm. to me again, <laughs> and if I feel very... Very strongly about something, I'll just drop it for a minute because I realize that's a dead end street at the moment. But then maybe a week later, a month later, I'll come back and I'll say, you know, I've been thinking about this, and I, um, I want you to reconsider something that I mentioned um, a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And I, and they'll say, well, why do you feel so strongly about it? And I say, and I explain it to them, and all of a sudden they'll go, oh, I understand that. That's a great idea, mm-hmm. and. You know, and I find myself a lot of time, um, I may be at a museum or somewhere and looking at something and going, oh, I really don't like this. You know, why would anybody be attracted to this? And I'll look at it again, whether it's right away or maybe a few years, and it'll have a different reaction on me. Mm. So that's why I think it's important to be open. It's important to learn and to understand why people do certain things. It doesn't mean you have to like it, but it's important to um, have access to all information.
0: Mm -hmm. And how have you had to think outside the box on this journey in order to be successful?
1: Hmm. Well, I don't know that I've had to, I think it's just, it's an innate thing. I just think you do, you think outside the box. Um, You think within structure and you think without structure. And, that's part of the, the creative process, I think, for anybody. Um, mm-hmm. though I don't think you get locked into to anything. I think you're always thinking outside the box. So any creative person does that. Whether they're a sculptor, a painter, an architect, artist, designer, fashion designer. Um, you look at the creativity that the fashion designers have. They're always looking for something from the past to influence them, and they're always looking for something that's edgy and a little bit out there. Uh, it's just part of being the creative person that you are.
0: Mm. And do your travels influence you besides going to Italy and Egypt? I mean you've mentioned talked a little bit about traveling. Is that do you oh, still it, go on It's trips a huge trips influence? Yeah. It is. Uh huh. Go
1: on. Yeah, it's a huge influence. The more I've traveled around the world And the more I've seen, I bring back this wealth of information and this um, just wealth of beauty that you see about the world. Um, Nature is probably one of my single biggest influences, the texture of nature, the color, the perfection. Nature is perfection. Mm. And um, it's why I like to incorporate the outside and landscape into the spaces that we do. It's very, very important because to be able to sit in a room that is beautifully executed and to look out into a beautiful landscape is there is a human element. It's the earthiness. It's it's grounding. It's inspirational. Mm. And you have the beauty that God created out there.
0: Mm.
1: And But traveling is hugely influential, um, you know, like I mentioned seeing great buildings in Greece and Italy and um the far east and so forth and um <clears throat> I'm just leaving in a couple days for the south of Spain to install a project on a ship and oh, cool. um it's very very exciting working on this ship doing um we're working on two private residences and um you know that has certain constrictions but I've able been able to travel on the ship and experience that and um, see how that functions. You see how other societies function. Um, I remember being in Thailand, and um, I have a good friend who is a spectacular architect. His name's Ed Tuttle. Um, He's from Washington State, Mm -hmm. but he lives in Paris. And I remember staying at one of the hotels that he did in uh, Bangkok, and it was... It was very moving. Um, he d- he's designed a lot of the almond resorts. Very, very talented individual. And remember, as walking down this corridor, every moment that I walked down this corridor, every time I turned my eye, I saw something of beauty. I saw an architectural element. I saw a piece mm. of art. I saw colors, fabrics, textures. And um, that's really great design. It's very moving. So as you travel around the world, you see the works of great people, whether it's modern or classical, and it's um, very moving.
0: Yeah. So um, please, um, we have about six minutes left, so if you would just share with us again, I mentioned your website already at the beginning, but share with us where listeners can find out more about you and your work, and then tell us what, um, where you see your work in five years or ten years. But first say where listeners can contact you and learn more about you. Well, our, web- our
1: website is uh, markweaver.com, and it shows um, some, of, some of the work that we do. Um, obviously, we can't put everything on the website because it's, uh, I've been working for over 40 years, and we've been in a number of um, both national and international publications. So probably the best way to review our work is the website. And um, I'm sorry, what was the second part of your question?
0: And uh, so people should if they want to contact you they should go to markweaver.com and is there like a contact form on that?
1: Yes, there is and uh, our offices were located in Los Angeles, California. It's Mark Weaver and Associates and um you can find our our phone number is 310-855-0400. And uh, we work, uh, the majority of our work is in Southern California, but we work all over the world. We're doing projects currently in Aspen, New York, um, this project in Spain. Um, So we're fortunate that our our work takes us everywhere.
0: And where do you see your work in five years and in ten years? Is your work evolving? How do you see it? Yeah, it's
1: evolving tremendously because I have a great team of people right now. And I'm very inspired by the young people that are working with me because, like myself, when I was young, I had great ideas, but I didn't have the clientele or the ability to execute these ideas. And so I'm very moved by young people, their energy, their creativity, their originality, Um, and I see us evolving to um, projects that are, are just you know, there's always something new in the future. There's always something more exciting. There's always something to learn from. So I see it in an evolution. And I personally want to get into designing and building um, structures, homes, and mm. uh, doing projects from the ground up and selling it as a complete unit.
0: Oh, that'd be cool.
1: It, so somebody is buying your complete thought, your complete piece of art.
0: That would be very creatively satisfying, I would think,
1: yeah, it is. It's very satisfying,
0: and do you think there's a magic formula for success?
1: Well, there might be um being an artist i'm uh, I guess that would be an easier question for for a business person, but uh, I think just sticking to your- de- ideals um, taking it from your um consciousness taking the direction of your life from your consciousness and going with um, what's in your gut, I think your consciousness will direct you toward the right path.
0: And what do you do in your spare time?
1: My spare time, I love being in nature. I love taking walks on the beach. I love looking at beautiful art and sculpture, buildings, um, gardening, Um. Exercise. Uh, I find that there's a great balance between the body and the mind. So exercise and nature, being in nature, is very important to me. Into grounding me and bringing back me back to reality.
0: And is there a, this be my last question? I guess um, is there a fun fact or a couple fun facts that people might know about you? People not might not. May not ugh, excuse me. Was there a fun fact people might not know about you?
1: Gosh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, I guess um, I don't want to come off as rigid. I'm very—I tend to be a very spontaneous, off-the-cuff person, and um, I—I uh, like—I like being original. I like being a little—I like things that are a little quirky. Um, I like things that are edgy. I always like uh, being out and finding out what's new. I avoid trendy, but I, I love exploring.
0: Mm.
1: I think that's one of my bi- biggest thrills is exploration. exploration.
0: Exploration
1: of the unknown.
0: Oh, that's cool. Exploration of the and I unknown.
1: And love, I love science. I love metaphysics. I love exploring, um, seeing what's happening with the discovery of the universe. I think um, science is a great influence on me um, emotionally and spiritually. I love the, I love science.
0: That's so cool, Mark. I really thank you for being on the show. You've been amazing.
1: Well, thank you, Tracy. This was um, I'm very honored to have you call me, and this was great.
0: Yeah, it was really fun. So um, I'm going to hang up, and I'm going to thank you again for being on the show.
1: Wonderful. Thank you, Tracy. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: So that was Mark Weaver, and who this amazing interior designer. And you should go to markweaver.com to learn more about Mark. Um, and that was what a treat to have him on the show. So I'm really grateful that he came on. Next week we have Bo Roberts, who was listed as one of the 50 sexiest men alive. So that'll be fun. And he uses a lot of new media, so the new social media. So we'll have him talk about that. So thanks for listening to everyone who's there. Um, thanks for joining us. Talk to you next week. This has been Tracy L. Slatten on the Independent Artists and Thinkers Network. Thanks for joining us. Come back next week.